0: Come on, Dutty. come on Pop. Good boy. come on. It's an absolutely beautiful, fresh morning. The wind is from the northwest and I come out through the Green Gate and I'm immediately facing the lake and County Clare on the other side, unsullied. They don't have any development over there, so you just get to get up to look over at natural woodland and nature and Sleevauti. Prof, deputy, come on, let's go. Let's come down to the pier. Good girl. I'm Eleanor Hooker. I'm a poet and writer, a lifeboat woman and a really bad sailor. I live by Loch Derg and I love this lake. It's, it infects every part of my life. Loch Derg. Veiled by the ancients for her celestial beauty. Banished by the gods for her voracious passions. They took her breath and named it wind. Drove her to the underworld. So all remained upon the earth. Her flowing curls that lick and lap the frills of time. Mute and still she waits. Her lock, a lake that all would enter. Penetrate. For their pleasure world as struggles every day The wind's attempt to give her voice Draws back her head To kiss her mouth A tempest in the making Now Squalls get tangled in her hair And wisps pulled free Lash my face As thunder rumbles overhead Oaks bend And beaches break And the howling Is a sound of unnamed fears As sail is preyed upon ...fearful of the blackening, falling skies. A numbing, wrenching gale draws back a final time... ...revealing reddened eyes... ...the bloodied face of aged beauty. Balefully, she regards me... ...snatching gulpings from my throat... ...the gust exhales it in her mouth... ...a tormented wail rebukes me for my lack of faith. It's lovely to have a pier here and it's, it's ancient. Whoever built it knew exactly what they are doing. The prevailing winds are southwesterly and this gets shelter even in the toughest of storms. Um, I can launch my boat from here and go sailing um, straight into fresh water so there's no worry about tide or salt or anything like that. Deputy, don't drink that. Come on. Come on, good boy. And today I'm going to meet some of my friends who have the same love affair with the lake and who've lived here all their lives too. I'm first going to meet Reggie Goodbody, a sailor and a boat builder and a luthier and a woodwork a genius. I'm here with Reggie in his workshop and there's the most delicious smell of wood and on the walls there's jigs for violins and boats there's exotic woods, there's laburnum beech, ash, oak what other woods have you here, Reggie? Well,
1: bog oak uh, laburnum uh, yew, Irish yew, and then the mahogany's um, teak, that's Burmese teak which is the really genuine teak and even um, mahogany which I bought out of an old press of 1872, because that's what was written on the back of the press. And they're all used in the various models that I make.
0: And Reggie, what are you working on at the moment? What's going on in this model here?
1: Well, this is a model of a traditional craft boatyard, and there's... on. Set up on the stocks is a model of a Shannon-1 design, or the frames to make a Shannon-1 design. Shannon-1 designs are the boats that are sailed on Loch Derg and on Loch Ree, and they've been sailed here since 1920, uh, 21. And um, they're built on the right way up, and they have a series of eight frames... Uh, set up on the keel, and they're braced down from the roof. So this model shows the, the the whole boat ready to start planking, because the keel has been laid, the transom is in, and beside it is the workbench. And then, as it's all one tenth scale, to make it realistic, I've made. Um, some of the tools to go as well Uh, for example there's a a woodworker's vice there and that actually works and then all the other bits and pieces will it's not finished so I'm still working on it but that it it represents a boatyard belonging to a wonderful man called Jimmy Fury and he built a lot of these boats full-scale
0: I know Jimmy Fury well. He made our boats and he said to me once that uh, heaven is living by the lake for eternity, watching all his boats sail by. And so you've a completed model here. Reggie, can you tell me about it?
1: Well, this model I built um, during the COVID lockdown. In fact, I made six altogether. Uh, I didn't paint the house. I didn't uh, clean out anything and I didn't do any gardening. And I'm afraid to say I didn't do very much cooking. But I did decide to make what I would hope would be museum-quality models. And this model is of a 19-foot uh, a rowing boat, a Korob rowing boat, and it is clinker-built. In other words, the plank goes one on top of the other, uh, which goes back to pre-Viking times. And the ribs are steamed into it, and the copper nails or roofs are shown on the inside, and they were fun to make because I had to make the tool to make them. It's made out of European redwood, um, clear pieces without any knots, and the thwarts or seats and knees are all carved out of, uh, of pear wood. The transom is made out of mahogany, and um, it was fun to put together. One of these models would take as long, as it, probably as long as it takes to make a violin, and I've made a few violins in the past as well and violin can be made in about 200 hours.
0: Reggie, this is absolutely exquisite. It's just a work of art, and as you say, it's museum standard. Congratulations, I just love this. I might just take it away with me, (laughs) in my back pocket. It's just beautiful. Having seen models of boats that you've once sailed, will we go down to the lake and uh, go board your life-size
1: boat? Okay, coming aboard. OK, so now we're we're aboard Amaryllis. Uh, she's um, about 30 foot long or 10 metres, originally built in Italy, and then went to Holland and then came to Ireland, and I bought her about uh, 11 or 12 years ago. I've been all over the inland waterways in this. Of course, I love boats, I've spent most of my life on the lake. And you've
0: even lived in a boat as a child, haven't you, Reggie?
1: Yes, uh, originally we lived beside the lake up in Kilgarvin, uh and then my father sold the house and he bought the Phoenix uh, back in about 1949, 1950, and I lived on her for two and a half years, which was a Spartan existence, there was no central heating, and I had to fill his water tank every morning with the bucket from the lake in the ice, uh, it had to be broken first. Uh, we lived in the back cabin of the Phoenix. There was no insulation. There was steel was next door to the water. And uh, we had two two halves of an army tent to keep the drips from falling into our uh, bunks. So great fun. I have no regrets. So was
0: your family home? All of you lived on the boat for a while?
1: Yes, oh yes. Um, uh, my mother and father and my brother and a Labrador and a Budgerie. Yeah. And um, yeah, my father used to to go to Dublin and work uh, and come back at the weekends. And my mother, you know, sort of looked after the boat. So, yeah, it was a really interesting life. I went to school locally, uh, Ross Gray and then Nina, uh, but that wasn't satisfactory long term, so uh, we moved off the boat. But we used to go back for every holidays, winter and Easter and the summer. And, of course, it was a fantastic life.
0: So your association with Lochtar goes on forever. I mean, you're, you've, you've lived on, on the lake, you've sailed on it, you've built boats on it. And what's your relationship with it now? I mean, you're still sailing.
1: Well, I'm still sailing, still racing and um, managed to be competitive some of the time. But um, yeah, I've lived on it all my life and had all my fun out of it. I'm now retired beside the lake and um, still, still enjoying it.
0: Will we uh, slip our moorings and go out into the lake for a moment? Yeah,
1: certainly, yeah. We'll start her up.
0: Loch Derg is an extraordinary body of water. I always call her pagan and impenitent, and she has moods, definitely has moods. Some days, absolutely flat calm, and just like a mill pond, and other days, waves heap up, uh, five foot tall in places, and it can be treacherous. Even seasoned sailors have uh, come unstuck, especially down at um, danger points like Parker's Point and up in Clundavon Bay. In 2011, after weeks and weeks of persistent rain, the lake rose in flood, and it was creeping around the back of our house, which was making us extremely nervous, and I wrote this poem, Storm Song. The autumn line storm bears the lake to my door, and in the pounding water is my menagerie of three-eyed fish, and in the ardent air, an arabesque of ravens and rooks. This porous house has never resisted, the wind on knots and they all rain in. Once inside, my fishes and the birds resume their routine of swim and storm song. I find breathing space on a bloated chest, rise to the rafters with a raven and a rook beside me, monitoring the flood. Attic curtains spinnaker and the house runs before the wind. In large, dense shoals, my fish dive down to the deepest available water drawing down the broken echoes of my humming, sending back up the stormy shadows of my song. There's a magnificent array of wildlife around Loch Derg, red squirrels we see them every morning but they were quite rare on the eastern shore of Loch Derg for many many years. When we go on our walks at night we see hedgehogs, badger, we hear the fox screeching often. Um, we see pine marten and of course we do see mink. And the, because of the wildlife and that to protect their habitat, Loch Derg is a special protection area for all of the birds that we see here. Moorhen, coosh, magpie diver, whooper swans, mute swans, herons, um, tufted duck, it's just such an incredible array. And of course the sea eagle over the last number of years have been reintroduced to Loch Derg and it's so exciting to see them on the wind on a on a stormy day. They just own the air. They're magnificent creatures. I've come here to Gortmore to chat to Alan Mee about the sea eagles. Uh, The weather has changed, but the wind is good and that's what the seagulls love. Gortmoor is on the northeastern shore of Loch Derg. What is it about Loch Derg that uh, favours the seagulls or that the seagulls favour the lake?
2: Yeah, uh, well, it's just uh, one of Ireland's biggest lakes, I guess. Uh, You know, the birds uh, that, that settled here originally came from Killarney, released in Killarney, originally came from Norway, brought over as part of the reintroduction. The birds here that settled here, the male of the pair that settled up at this north end of Loch Derg is actually, he's got a tag, number one. So he was the first bird ever tagged in Ireland and he's from a 2007 male, so one of our oldest oldest breeding birds and he's settled here since about 2014. So uh, I guess what attracts them, you can see this wide expanse of water, uh, brilliant um, place to fish and also lots of uh, nice woodland and forest for them to nest in. So it's, it's got a bit of everything, really.
0: What kind of fish are they eating on the, um,
2: on the lake? They're opportunists, so they will take anything, but... Uh, uh, surprisingly enough they've t- they take quite a lot of pike pike can be quite, quite large but of course they come in they spend a lot of time in the shallows pike and that makes them really vulnerable to the white tailed eagles uh, probably pleases the fishermen as well that, uh, that the, uh, the sea eagles are removing some of the pike that are preying on salmon and trout and things like that so of course one of the real bonuses of having them back is balancing the ecosystem that might have been out of balance ever since they became extinct a hundred years ago so now the sea eagles are back and we we'll probably get a better balance in the distribution of, of fish species and also other bird species. You know, because they are at the top of the top of the food chain.
0: That's extraordinary for even humans to cook a pike. It's it's quite a challenge. They're free floating bones. And um, have you faced any challenges introducing the birds to this area?
2: Since the birds were released, one of the biggest factors was poisoning. Uh, in hill sheep areas in the southwest, but we've had, we've not had any of these issues around Loch Derg. And you know the the people farming around Loch Derg and living around Loch Derg have been really really positive towards the birds. You know, so the challenge we have faced, and uh, we've lost two or original breeding females were lost in the same year over the space of a month to bird flu. So something that came really out of left field, something we never had thought of uh, as, a, as a mortality factor for white illegals. And just happened that one winter. But happily, the, the, the male of the pair, where we are now, is repaired with an Irish bred, the first Irish bred female to breed in the wild. And he's doing, both of those are doing really well.
0: That's lovely, that's lovely. I think if I wanted um, a spirit animal, it would be a, a seagull. Do you ever tire of seeing them?
2: Never tire of seeing them, you know. Um, they're uh, reputedly the fourth largest eagle in the world, and obviously our largest bird of prey in Ireland, now that they're, they're back. But it's surprising the amount of times I've gone out looking for this very, very large bird and not finding them. So I don't tire of seeing them because it doesn't happen all the time, yeah. even even when you know they're there. They're often described as quite lazy predators. They'll sit and wait, you know, a bit like a buzz they feed, then they uh, digest their food for maybe a few hours. Are uh, sitting around, not doing very much, and then they take off. But well, once they're in flight, they're such a spectacular bird, especially the adults with that beautiful white tail, and the male would have, and and the males and female adult female with a, uh, a whitish head, almost looking like a bald eagle.
0: Wonderful. escape route you fix our ladder in the scorched earth watch as the crows crowd round us I hear their cautionary cacaws and cover your ears against their thin black sermons and so we climb me then you runged we stroke each bird sedate and clerical One bestows a moulted quill feather, colour run like oil marked silk. Is it an omen? You ask. Should we go back? I don't answer. I'm too busy holding up the sky. Guys. Morning, hi guys. Hi. Morning. How, How are, are you? It's lovely sea.
3: And you? Thank you so and much you? for taking
0: me out in your boat. <laughs> yeah.
3: Very good. 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 Very good. Yes. We'll, uh, we'll be going in a couple of minutes. We we'll just.
0: Do you want to handle the lines or anything? Uh, no, I think we're okay. Oh, okay. I, we, we, I first started sailing when I was twenty. Um, after I met my husband Peter, I went to Glenan sailing courses, and I've been sailing ever since. And I can't imagine uh, not being in my life. But one of the most extraordinary and most welcoming people I've ever met was Ted Knight, who just embraced me, who um, teased me unmercifully at my bad sailing, but was just such a warm and a warm and welcoming character. He's been a friend for many, many years.
3: OK, right. Uh, well, we're just going to start the internet Just switch her on as you do in a normal car, and just press the button, and away she goes. Just like that. Just like that.
0: The lines are off, and we're just giving her a shove out, and we're away. OK, we're gone. It's a bit misty today, isn't it, Ted? Um, uh, we yes, got yes. forecasts for good weather and here we have mist yes. and well, uh, rain.
3: They don't always get it right, you know. They no. don't always get it right. <laughs> but I know. Sometimes they get it right. <laughs>
0: that's true, and if you allow the weather to stop you, you'd do nothing. <laughs> that's right, No. Yeah, yeah. What do they say? Better a good day on the water than a bad day in the office? That's
3: it, That's
0: it, yeah. Or maybe the other way around, better a bad day on the, on the water than a good day in the office. Teddy, this is a really interesting boat to take people out on the lake on trips, and it has a fascinating history.
3: She was put on the QE2, and the QE2 was built, and I think that—that was, that was about 1970, 69, and uh, she was uh, she was um, a tender, not a not a lifeboat, a tender, right. which means that she, when she, when the QE2 pulled into a harbour that she couldn't fit into. There was two of these, one each side, and they drop those down and they'd take the passengers in. She's been at sea. She's been all around the world this boat. Yeah. You know.
0: We're in the middle of the lake now, halfway between Tipperary and County Clare. The Corakin Islands are landmark and behind them is Ilon Moor. And then the Hare Island uh, over in County Clare is also a landmark that everybody measures when they're racing or measures as a as a a distance when they're going south Uh, it's rough enough today the weather's um, gone round to the southwest again there's still a mist but there's that gorgeous sound of the water there's nowhere i'd rather be i i don't mind that there's mist and rain today i'm absolutely in my element and it's great to be on teddy's boat with teddy and his daughter adele
3: Stop the engine now. Okay, are we tied up properly. Yeah, yes. All tied good. Up, yeah. Good. Good. Well done. We're now in in uh, Draman Harbour, and it's in County Clare, which is the beauty of this lake. Really, and there's three counties around it, and it's and there are ten ports of call, which is tremendous. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. You know, it's great. I think it's a wonderful place.
0: And you brought your young family up on the boat Miranda, the barge, oh, yes. in, for for a long time. My,
3: my my little wife, who died about eighteen months ago, uh, we eloped, and we we found on our on our honeymoon. We were brought on our honeymoon by a very good friend of mine up in Athlone, on a barge, and he devoted the the stern cabin, his cabin, to us, the honeymoon couple. So we on the way up the on the way up the Shannon, we spotted a barge, in very bad condition, under the bridge in, uh, in um, Lanesborough, half full of water, full of prams and bicycles and muck of all sorts. And uh, uh, I found out who owned it. And I went and I, I asked him, would he sell it? And he said, yeah, but he wanted £100 for it. Now, £100, I was working at the time in Athlone for £7 a week. So £100 is out of this way, you know. Yeah. So... On my On my way out the door, anyway, I said, "I'll give you sixty sixty for it." So we ended up buying it for sixty five. So for sixty five pounds, we had a shell, a rusty shell with no roof on it. So we brought it back to atlone, put a roof on it, and we lived in the bow. That's where we lived in the beginning. That was 1962 we got married, and 1962-63 winter was the <coughs> hardest winter we've had here for years. The whole lake froze over. They were driving cars across from one side to the other, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it was that thick. The ice was that
0: thick. You've been associated with the lake all your life, and you know the dangers. I mean, it can be flat calm one minute and blow up the next. Mm.
3: We, have, we have what we call the scar of wind. And uh, it's uh, the, the winds in Ireland are are um, per- prevailing winds of southwesterlies, and they come up from Scariff Bay right across and come end up in in Bay, which it it, it 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 has quite a decent size roller by the time it meets us because it's a seven mile stretch, quite a quite a rough place.
0: So Teddy, you, were, uh, you and Charles Stanley Smith were pivotal in, in getting a lifeboat here and before that you used to go out on rescues yourself yeah. but um, it's down to your application and your dedication that we have a lifeboat here now. Thank you. Yeah.
3: When we got the, the original lifeboat I was a, a bit sceptical of it because she, she was a little bit short for, for what we want here and she didn't have radar but now we have a we have every, we have a new boat and it's all whistles and bells and everything on it radar the whole bit and pieces, so. I was very happy once we got that boat, and. Now that I, I I've I've retired from the from the lifeboat and uh,
0: it's it's uh,
3: I live my life
0: quietly now.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Ted, you've been on the lake and using it to sail and um, all your life and it's given you enormous pleasure. You've mm-hmm. raised your family on the Miranda. Mm. What does that mean for you?
3: We had a we had some people out a couple of years ago on this boat and this guy was talking about the, the, the charms of the forest and uh, nature and so on. And I said to him when we were finished, I said, my charm is out in the middle of the lake or in the middle of the sea. I don't mind yeah. that. It's just the attraction. And when I was ill there for a while, uh, when I, I couldn't get anywhere near water and I felt starved, I felt starved, you know. <laughs>
0: That's wonderful, yeah. I completely understand that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I've been living here for over 20 years now, yeah, yeah. but I can't imagine living anywhere else. No, no. And we're the most landlocked county in Ireland and here we have our own private inland sea. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah.
0: In 2003, um, when the Ornalli decided that they were going to station a lifeboat at Drummoneer, many of us who were sailing and using the lake for leisure decided to sign up and become involved. And I've been a helm and press officer now for nearly 20 years. And it's um, it's incredible to be able to give back to my community and to be part of this Ornalli family. When somebody's in danger on the lake, um, if they have... A uh, telephone, they'll dial 999 and ask for marine rescue and they're put straight through to Valencia Coast Guard down in Kerry and they call or set off our pagers and as soon as my pager goes I drop whatever I'm doing and make my way to the station. A shout or a call out um, means that somebody is in danger and we need to be as prompt as possible to get afloat and uh, to go to their assistance. As a lifeboat um. I've, I'm in charge of the boat and my crew, um, I have to look after them, so in addition to anticipating what we're going to encounter on the water, I'm thinking about everything as we set out. You have to respect the water, if you don't respect the water, it you'll come a cropper, and as a crew we also respect the water, we know that the lifeboat is our lifeboat to get us home. When we launch we'll know what we're attending, we've been told that by Valencia Coastguard who's in difficulty. If it's a Mayday call, we know that it's um, somebody's in grave and imminent danger and it's absolutely imperative we get to them as fast as we can. Thankfully, due to the drowning prevention programmes and um, education, people are taking more care and more responsibility when they go in the water. The mantra is respect the water and repeat that over and over again. And that slows people down. They, they're, they're cautious, they wear their life jackets, they carry means of communication. All of those things that we repeat ad nauseum, people actually pick up and they, they take on board, literally and metaphorically. One of the worst scenarios for any lifeboat man or woman is to go out to somebody and um, find that they, they're gone. But our job is to bring them back and um, bring dignity to the situation. So even in death, we have a responsibility to that person. I wrote this poem after a particularly sad uh, call-out or shout in which the person didn't make it. Recovery. He's overdue, that's all we know. As the lifeboat tugs the reins of snow-blown steeds, crew take each new wave on a rising trot. The rhythmic pitch of our engine's blades is a sound of hope in tortured air. Overhead, the sky lies low with blame seeking solace in the speckled mirror of the lake. We search the run and flow of current winds, racing points on our compass. Very soon we find his skiff, holed and broken by the gales. And then, close by, we find him too, drowned, alone and still. We stop and bow our heads, all silent now. Even the wind has stilled its ragged wail. But this is no Ophelian scene. There are no fragrant flowers here. February insists on monochromes of brown and ash. With wintered reeds and loch his only cradle. Gone is colour from this life. Grey lake infused. A waxen absence dyes his face and hands, his eyes. We break our gaze as overboard into this other scene we slide to gather up. Tender to the last of rights. I'm down here in Killaloo, which is at the southern end of Loch Derg. I'm with Sandra Lefroy in her home. Sandra, I love the story of how you met John, your husband, when you came here aged 14.
4: Well, I was living in Dublin, uh, living on a pony most of the time. <laughs> Um, And I had very good horsey friends who lived close by who happened to have a boat on the river. And I had been ill, uh, and I was recuperating, and they said, well, would you like to come down to the boat for a bit of a rest? It's down in Killaloo at the moment. So we duly went down, and one of the first people they introduced me to was a young man called John Lefroy. And, well, the rest is history, really. I was 14 at the time, and he was a couple of years older than I was. The pact at the beginning was that I was going to teach him how to ride a horse and he was going to teach me how to sail. And I would have to say that his teaching has been much more successful than mine <laughs> in that I have sailed for the rest of my life, but he has very seldom managed to get on a horse.
0: <laughs> and you, you've got the boat, the Phoenix. We were talking to Reggie earlier. who said he spent two and a half years living on the boat um, with his family when he was very, very young. But that boat is iconic on the lake as a starter boat for races as a recognisable ship going up and down the river it's just beautiful
4: well she's very unusual she was built in 1872 and she's got the lines of one of the early cunardas she's got a very she's very long with a very narrow beam and a funnel and raked masts so she's very elegant um, from the point of view of living on board, it's rather up and down stairs all the time. And you're confined by, by her narrow beam in that the accommodation can be fairly spartan. But she's very much a member of our family. She belonged to John's great uncle Harry around the turn of the last century. And when she became available for sale again in Killaloo in the 60s, John's father brought her back into the family and we brought him out in 1970. We've had her ever since. And we lived on board for two periods of time. The first time was for 18 months, when we were fairly newly married, and we had no children and just just a dog, so it was fairly easy. The second time was for two and a half years, by which time we had two children and two dogs. So it was fairly character-forming, but it was very interesting in terms of bringing the family very closely together because obviously there are no secrets when you live on a boat because everybody can hear everything. But we were fortunate in that we're able to go on using her during the summer and she lives at the bottom of our garden so we're very able to to continue with maintenance and so forth, particularly during Covid lockdown when we were able to, to get down to her without breaking any of the rules. Which kept us out of mischief to a large extent.
0: Yeah, you're very fortunate to have a boat at the end of your garden, and you can just, you know, slip the moorings and go and have an adventure. It's it's
4: it's idyllic, isn't it? Well, of course, we started we started with somewhere to keep the phoenix, and the house came as something as an afterthought, but it's all worked out very well. Yeah, I think
0: people who live by the lake and by the Shannon, it just gets into your bloodstream. But you're also a writer, Sandra, and so. Is it in your writing? Do you is it a topic for your?
4: Yes, very much. You 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 can't live in this area without being affected by the by the gorgeous atmosphere and and surroundings. It's it's always different. It's always beautiful. It's always interesting. Um, it's certainly inspiring from the point of view of a writer.
0: And writing is in your DNA because your Wordsworth's great
4: times for grandniece? Well, William Wordsworth my great 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 uncle. Um, I'm descended in direct line from his brother, Christopher, who was a bishop, actually. Um, a number of churchmen in the, in the, in the, in the line coming down, but uh, strong characters, all. they were very interesting people.
0: And uh, your husband, John Lefroy, one of his ancestors at one
4: stage was a boyfriend of Jane Austen. That's correct. Uh, that was Thomas Lefroy, who was actually born in Limerick. Um, and as a young man, he went to stay with... His aunt and uncle in Hampshire, um, and Jane Austen's father was the clergyman in the next parish, and they became very friendly, and the families got a bit alarmed because they were considered rather too young, and that it was wasn't all very suitable, and unfortunately, <laughs> nothing nothing came of it. But uh, it's a it's a very attractive story, anyway.
0: And in your own research, you found a connection between possibly between Wordsworth and. Well,
4: I was doing research on family history and I came across a reference to um, a suggestion that Jane Austen had at one time been very friendly with a young naval captain um, who was John Wordsworth, who was William the poet's brother. So uh, it could well be that our families were connected something over 200 years ago through friendship with Jane Austen, which is very, very intriguing.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. I love that sort of synchronicity then uh, down the generations. And what does the lake and Loch Derg and um, the Shannon mean to you now?
4: It's just part of my life, I suppose. You could say it's a disease that you catch, um, as you know, we, we sail for recreation, but it has been our business for a number of years. We were involved in the hire boat business. And um, John has been a, a, a marine surveyor for a number of years. He's retired now, but I worked with him. And it was all boats, really. At, um, but it's been great fun. You meet some wonderful people through it. And it's it's always there in its different moods. I mean, the weather, the weather obviously, is a factor. But it's... Um, it's always, it's always beautiful.
0: I can't imagine living anywhere other than by the shores of Loch Derg. I absolutely love it, but even sometimes I feel I need to get away from my home. So one day I rode my boat over to County Clare. Uh, moored up, walked up just to see what it looked like from the other side and you know the, the grass is not greener home is beautiful and I, I absolutely love it here I, um, it's absolutely in my soul and that rowing trip across to County Clare inspired this poem from My Hazelwood which sort of riffs on Yeats um, the song of wandering Angus from My Hazelwood I row Kibbehe out of the boathouse. I want to see my home from the other side. February sun is a trick of yellow and cold, enough to offer no comfort to the day. Sky stares at Sky swimming in the lake. Its blue hums against my bow as sky water jumps the gunwale to rest at my feet and repeat the riddles of pike and gulls. An icy north wind raises her hand against my starboard beam. But I've no time for bullies who would dare to plot my course and pull against the push to port. Draman Harbour is an open hollow that echoes only hush. The lake that fills the concrete jetties here is sullen and grey. I tuck Kibbehe into the farthest pen, settle her alongside, bow, stern, and springs. I set out through East Clare, walk the country lanes until I reach forest paths, climb untracked boglands to the rise of Schlievati, a treeless top world whose earth furniture is covered with snow sheets and snow lace. The blue above, doused in pure rhymed air, frosts my lungs. Buried deep beneath my feet or our restless famine dead. And the courtly breeze that cuts through me is Lady octe of the Tua de Danon, for whom these hills are named. I look back. On the other side, I see Devil's Bit, Keeper. Then lower to Loch Derg, I trace the curve of Youghal Bay. Locate the mountaineer, Ryan's Point, Barak Bay, until I find a synapse in the hazel wood, and there, nestled in particular isolation, is my home, gilded between two points, my lakeshore dwelling, and may you be in this house as the music is in the instrument. I turn away, walk the bog path south to Loch Hill. In the shadow of Bohatch Dolmen, I picnic on feta bread and flasked coffee. A sea eagle hovers into wind, yellow beaked, yellow booted, elemental above this hushed landscape. I remain still, attuned.